Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you're listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. Hey guys, hey gals, thank you so much for tuning in. I have such a juicy episode for you this week. But first, can I tell you about my LA adventures? Can I give you a little update? The wildest thing happened. You know, for like the first two weeks, and literally today is my second complete week in LA. So I, I haven't been doing my hair. I've been trying to pull this apartment together because I had like zero furniture. So I've been trying to like make it livable. I have all my needs now, not necessarily the ones. I still got to figure out the couch situation and a bookshelf and a dresser, but I have the basics in order to function. My office chair came, so my back is not going to be messed up this week from editing the podcast, which I'm really excited about. But here's the fascinating thing. I actually do my hair. I wash it. I condition it. I twist it because I always have a twist out. And usually I have to sit under the dryer for an hour and a half to two hours to dry my hair completely. If I wait, just do it natural air, I have to sleep overnight for my hair to be completely dry. That's the only way to do it. Can I tell you, I twisted up all this hair and then I went out to like run a couple errands. Do you know my hair was dry completely to the root in two hours? L.A., it's a desert. And I keep forgetting I live in the desert. There are cacti in the flower beds outside my apartment because, again, we are in the desert. This dry air combined with L.A.'s hard water, curls, kinks, because I got both in the same head, are popping. It's crazy. I've been a little homesick. It's so weird. Things that you totally take for granted when you're at home, you go somewhere else and all of a sudden you're like, I must have this thing. This so was not a thing before, but all of a sudden is a thing now. I've been to two different grocery stores and I can't find apple jelly. I haven't had apple jelly since I lived in Brooklyn. So growing up, my mom would toast bread and put apple jelly and butter on it. And so whenever I'm very far from my mother, I always want apple jelly and I can't find it. I did find Old Bay. I meant to get an industrial sized can before I left Maryland, but they have that here. So that's fine. My mother is coming for Mother's Day, which I'm super excited about, which also means I need to get this apartment in order. Because if anyone's have ever had their mother come to visit you, you know that they are observant. Let's use that adjective and move along. So she's going to bring apple jelly and then my favorite coffee mug. Remember when I used to do the YouTube videos? I had that black and white coffee mug. I left that mug. So my mother's going to bring that too. And that's not even the point. The point is one of the ways that I've been fighting my homesickness on Instagram, I've started following this food truck in LA that serves Maryland crab cakes. It's called Craven Crab Cakes. I wake up every morning about five or six. I'm still on East Coast time. Also, one of the first things I check is to see where this food truck is in LA. In case I have like emergency homesickness, I can get to a Maryland crab cake with haste. I know that sounds utterly ridiculous, but people cope in the way that they need to. But other than that, the LA transition is going really well. The projects that I moved out here to work on more closely are, are in the works. I don't think it's a secret. I'm here to turn my books into TV and film projects. Don't Waste Your Pretty is already rolling along. We've got a screenplay for that one and a network is already involved. Moving along on A Bell in Brooklyn, that one's probably going to be a TV series. There's been so many reiterations of that, but it's back in my possession. And then life is not a dress rehearsal. We're shopping it as, as a book proposal and also shopping it as a feature film project. So, so yeah, we'll see what comes of that. As far as 
Ratchet and Respectable goes, trying to figure out two different things. One, a tour, and then a Ratchet and Respectable brunch series. So that's my LA update this week. Oh, and I started working with a new trainer. He's one of the nicest guys I've ever met. Total, total, total sweetheart. He tries to kill me. I've been sore for like three days now. But no complaints because the scale is moving. He's like a celebrity trainer who trains other celebrity trainers. So we're, we're doing four times a week and I'm working out two a days. I lost a bunch of my muscle tone and gained weight when I had sciatica. And I just haven't been able to pull it back together on my own. So he's working with me, hopefully, to, to get things in tip-top shape before summer, which LA is like eternal summer, but before the height of summer really hits. I'm back on hashtag see some ass until further notice. Anyway, I have a great lineup for you this week. We're talking about Nipsey Hussle's memorial, Wendy Williams and this divorce, Notre Dame. I teared up when I saw the video of it on fire. Have you been following Marjorie Harvey? She and her daughter have been on this odyssey. That's really like the best word to describe it. They've been on an odyssey since March 25th. Marjorie's pictures are just, oh, so amazing. They're having the most epic mother-daughter vacation. I think five countries, maybe six at this point. No, no idea when they're coming home. And then last, but certainly not least, Homecoming. Beyonce's epic documentary on Netflix. I couldn't stay up till midnight. I usually go to bed around 10, 11 o'clock now. But I was up at 5.30 this morning watching Homecoming. It took me four hours to watch the whole thing. I had to keep pausing it. But we'll talk about that. I have so many thoughts. Hopefully, this piques your interest and you'll stick around to the end. And let's get it. Nipsey Hussle's Memorial. I couldn't watch it. BET was doing a live stream. I had every intention of watching But when it got going, it started with Frank Sinatra's I Did It My Way and a montage of personal photos. I just couldn't take it. I started tearing up. I was on the verge of one of those full meltdown type cries. And I was like, I'm not doing this today. This is just grief and sadness. The senseless murder of a 33-year-old man. It's just... It's too much. He meant so much to so many people. Last episode, I talked about going down to the marathon store and the line to, to, to see the memorial that had been set up outside the store being more than a thousand people deep. And people had been coming all that day because I didn't get there till late on a Sunday. You can tell a lot about a person by the way people mourn them. So may he rest in peace. I saw a little bit of, of what Lauren London said about him that's so sad like I can't even imagine how I would be like I'd still be laying in bed or on the floor somewhere if the love of my life and and father of my child had been murdered a week and change before that she could pull herself together and run a comb through her hair and put on a decent dress and show up that's a lot of strength in one woman I, I feel terrible for her I saw she got this big tattoo on her forearm of Nipsey's face. I saw some discussion about it. People were like, why would she do that? Ma'am is, is in deep grief and mourning. Like she wanted to memorialize the love of her life and father of her child. Even if she didn't get a tattoo of him, she's forever going to be associated with Nipsey Hussle. Her body, her choice. I just feel terrible for her. I absolutely do. I did read that the family is rejecting 
donations for the children because Nipsey Hussle provided for his kids in case of an untimely death. You know what I want to say, and I'm just going to skip that part because I've talked about it twice, about protections for spouses that don't extend to girlfriends. I hope that Lauren London, who invested five years into that relationship, gets a little something as well. And I know that she has her own. She can take care of herself. It's okay to take care of the kids and the woman too. I'll say that I want the best for her and she and the children are in my prayers. Have y'all been following this Wendy Williams divorce? Wendy said she wasn't leaving him twice. The Daily Mail, because the Daily Mail has just been on one. They've been like stalking Wendy and her husband and the husband's girlfriend. A few months ago, the Daily Mail ran a story about this year-long stakeout that they'd been doing on Wendy Williams' husband and his mistress of 10 years. I don't know who Wendy and or her husband pissed off at the Daily Mail, but they, they really upset that person. Initially, when that story came out, Wendy said, there have been some stories, and essentially, I stand by my man. Then another set of stories came out saying that Wendy was on the brink of divorce, and that her husband had fathered a child with his girlfriend. Wendy came out again, said she's not going anywhere. She's wearing her ring and no more of it. And then last week, soon as I uploaded this podcast, there's a breaking news alert that came through my phone saying that Wendy Williams had filed for divorce. Look, divorce is a bitch. I wouldn't wish it on anyone And even if Wendy was just the shittiest person on earth with no redeeming qualities, I still wouldn't wish this on her because it's a horrible, horrible feeling to have to disassociate yourself from someone that you thought you'd be with forever. It's sad at two years. I can't imagine what it is at 22. But I also understand that sometimes you have enough and you got to get the fuck out. For some people, they hit that point at two years. For Wendy, 22. Maybe things were great and then they weren't great anymore. Maybe she tried to hold it together. I don't ever judge a woman for staying or for leaving. It's a very personal choice and it's a very hard choice, especially in a situation like Wendy's where your husband is gone and done some wild shit. Now you could stay and you could be, I honor my vows and I'll stick with my spouse for better or for worse. I respect that. I also know how hard that is. Or you could be like, this is not God's plan for me. I deserve better than this bullshit. That's hard too. Trying to make the best of a situation that's shitty, that you're forced to react to, and people judge you so hard, especially as women. And other women are the ones who do it too. But it looks like Wendy's officially had enough. Like she filed for divorce and decided to clean up shop. I read that her husband was fired from the show. His mistress has been driving this gold Ferrari around town. She was pictured getting out of the car in one photo. And then another photo showed the car being repossessed. It was being loaded onto a truck. There was some question as to whether this was a push gift that Wendy's husband had bought for his mistress. Or if Wendy and her husband had these matching Ferraris and her husband was letting his mistress drive the car that was purchased with his wife's money. Either way, that's some messy shit. But that car has been repoed. He put out a statement in page six, which sounded really good on the surface, but if you dug a little deeper, it was very strategic. 
I don't know if the lawyer was responsible or the publicist was responsible, if they're working in conjunction, but whoever wrote it needs a raise. Essentially, he acknowledged that he had made some mistakes. He also pointed out that he met Wendy 28 years ago and that he had dedicated his life to her career. He talked about Wendy's sobriety and hopefully she deals with her issues successfully. He'll be dealing with his own. I was like, was he trying to refer to sobriety, sex addiction? I don't know. He referred to Wendy Williams, as she's known by, as her legal name, Wendy Williams Hunter, which is a total dig. You start using somebody's last name when they're trying to leave you. It is. Trust me. It's a, it's a, a reminder that they're a family, which he did say. He said, we are still the Hunter family. It's, yeah, I guarantee you, Wendy didn't feel that way. It was a great statement. You should read it for yourself on page six. But there's a lot of just underlying like digs and shade and positioning. And I was like, essentially, he's going to position himself as the the husband who supported her career. They've been married 22 years. His name is on everything. There is no prenup. He's going to walk away with probably a good chunk of half. They live in a state that has New Jersey has fault and no fault divorce. Obviously, he spent a good chunk of marital assets on his mistress. In previous cases in Jersey and New York, they have very similar laws. When a judge is assigning alimony and assets, they will take a look at the marital assets that were spent on an extracurricular affair and take that into account. So not necessarily a punishment, but to look at the marital assets that have already been spent by one spouse on another situation. That may work in Wendy's favor. I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. Something I looked up at one point in time for various reasons. Let's move along. Ever since she announced her divorce, she looks like a load has been lifted. She said on the show earlier this week, she said she was moving out of the sober house. There's a question as to whether she was moving back home. She said she was moving to New York. There was also a news story about how she gave her husband soon-to-be ex-husband, 48 hours to vacate the marital home. So yeah, we'll, we'll see how this plays out. Divorce can be amicable. Some people are able to go their separate ways and it not get ugly. Those stories are few and far between. I think this one is probably going to be messy just because of, of the violations and the, the public embarrassment and the egos involved. Sometimes that's unavoidable. If they can just keep the ugly behind doors and with the lawyers as much as possible, that would be best for everyone involved, for their own personal adult sanity. As much as as the public likes hearing the salacious details, it it doesn't serve us and it doesn't serve them. I wish Wendy the best. Notre Dame on fire. It was very harrowing to see that. Even before I was a huge architecture buff, which I totally am now, I just, I love Notre Dame. When you go to Paris, there are two things that you absolutely must see, especially for a first-time visitor. You go to the Eiffel Tower and you go to Notre Dame. It's just absolutely beautiful. It's it's a stunning work of art. It's been around since the 1100s. To see it on fire was, I can't even compare it to anything in the U.S. because nothing in the U.S. is that old. According to what we're taught in history, America doesn't get discovered until 1492. When the first time I went to Paris, I felt like I had arrived. It was my first introduction to Europe. I was living in London. I decided to go to Paris for the weekend. And I was excited about seeing the sights and walking the streets 
that James Baldwin and Josephine Baker had walked. It's a gorgeous city, city of love, city of lights. I've been back a couple more times since then. Once I went with my parents, and that was epic. My dad has a picture from when he was in the service. He had a chance to visit Paris, and he'd taken a picture in front of that arc. I can't give you the proper name of it because I'm going to butcher it. My French is terrible. But there was a picture in front of that. So I got a chance to stand in the same place that my dad stood in maybe 30, 40 years prior at that point and, and take a picture there. That was really dope to me. And then another time, right after I quit my last job, I wanted to see some world. Even before I'd come up with the hashtag, I knew I wanted to travel. One of the first places that I went was to South Africa. I had a layover in Paris for 12 hours. I was with my, don't think we were engaged at the time. I think we were just boyfriend and girlfriend. We went to the Eiffel Tower and then we went to Notre Dame. There's a great picture of my ex in front of Notre Dame. We had good memories. That was a really good day for us. We had a really great time there. There were a lot of really weird reactions to people's reactions to Notre Dame burning. I need people to be really clear that you can be upset about Notre Dame and you can also be concerned about burning black churches in the South. We have this weird thing on social media where we act like people can only think about one thing or care about one thing or being interested in one thing at a time. And if you don't express your care, concern, like, dislike, objection, support of something publicly on one of your social media accounts, it must not be on your radar. No, that's not quite how it works. People are very multifaceted. People also got shit to do. Sometimes they talk about things, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they post, sometimes they don't. I did see that several French citizens and French-based companies had pledged a ton of money to rebuild the cathedral. So I'm actually really glad about that. There were other people making comparisons to, you know, I wish black churches could get this much money. Me too. You're absolutely right. I think you can want Notre Dame to be rebuilt and also black churches to be rebuilt. I don't think because you support one doesn't mean you can't support the other. Speaking of travel, so I follow Marjorie Harvey. Maybe six months to a year ago, Marjorie was on vacation with Steve. They were on this yacht. There was a video of her walking towards Steve. She had on this lovely flowing caftan that was blowing in the wind and the sea and the clouds in the background. It was epically gorgeous. It looked like something with, it was like a Hollywood feature film shot. And this is just what this woman is doing for her Instagram. I put up something like, I think I love Marjorie Harvey. People were really upset. And they're like, you should be you know, mindful of who you, you admire. I, I had no idea that people took such issue with Marjorie Harvey. She has an interesting past. I won't recount it here because I really don't care about it. And I don't know if some of the things that they say are true. Some of them are a bit salacious. Some of them are a bit on the ratchet side. And to that, I'll say this. If the worst of what people say about Marjorie Harvey's past is true, then every time you look at her now, you should say amen. Because she is a walking testament to God's grace and to second chances and turning your life around. Let me tell you what I like about Marjorie Harvey so people understand. She's happy. That's really it. It doesn't look like a fake happiness. All she does, stunt in, in beautiful clothes, right? 
work out, hang out with Steve, hang out with her kids, hang out with her grandkids, put on more beautiful clothes. That's it. She plans the most epic family functions. For Christmas, they had an ice skating rink in the backyard. Sis went and found some reindeer from somewhere. She had those in the backyard for Christmas. In the house, they had a department store-sized Christmas tree, which was Steve's want, not just Marjorie's. People talk sometimes, and they say Marjorie is spending all of Steve's hard-earned money. Steve don't mind. And Steve wanted that damn tree. Maybe like two weeks after that, maybe they just kept the same structure up. The family is roller skating around together. They'll put a whole carnival up in the backyard. She does these epic family events. She does what we all do, or we all hope to do for our families. She just does it with a much different budget. I love it. Her family seems to adore her. Her grandchildren seem to adore her. Her husband seems to adore her. She seems to adore herself, and she seems to be enjoying life. She doesn't really talk that much, not on Instagram. She never says anything that's controversial. How can people be mad at that? And she spends money beautifully. Steve believes in taking care of his woman, and he does. Good for him. Good for her, too. And good for Lori Harvey, because this trip they've been on, this mommy-daughter trip, epicness. As far as I can tell, and this is just based off Instagram, they started off in Japan. These women are, are riding in rickshaws around the city and samurai sword fighting. There's a drone involved in all of this, right? The videos are epic. They go from there to Vietnam. They go to Maldives. Marjorie's doing anti-gravity yoga. She looks freaking phenomenal. She's in her 50s. She looks so good, so good. Clearly, takes care of herself, drinks her water, gets good sleep, minds her business because that's a really big part of looking good. They go from there to Tanzania. They're on safari in the Serengeti. Then they head to Marrakesh where they're on dirt bikes. They go to Budapest for a quick minute. And last I saw, they're having dinner at a palace in St. Petersburg, Russia. Epic. And they're dressed to the nines for all of this. Chanel down, fur down, safari, they're in proper linens. I would love to see what the luggage situation is for this. The woman knows how to take a trip to travel and dress for the occasion. You got to hand it to her. She's putting on a show and I am enjoying the show. You see her Instagram numbers or her video watches. The ratings are high. People are enjoying themselves. So I love Margie Harvey. I would love Margie Harvey to write a book though. Because like I said, people talk about her story, and if true, it's a real started from the bottom, now we here. I want to know how you got here, ma'am. I want to know what that journey was. I want to know what prayer you prayed, because you and Sierra seem to have a similar prayer. I want to know what that prayer is. What is this level up prayer that you two have been praying and keeping to yourselves? Clearly, she's teaching it to Lori Harvey. I refuse, as a grown-ass woman, to talk about the dating life of what? A 19-year-old? 21? I don't know how old Lori Harvey is. I know she's too damn young for me to be talking about her dating life with any detail. Young ma'am seems to be enjoying herself. She seems as if she was schooled properly on the game. She looks like she's having a good time, which is exactly what she should be having in her early 20s. Hell, her whole 20s. But yeah. Their mommy-daughter adventure? Epic. I would love to go on an epic adventure like that with my mom. Anyway, last but not least, homecoming. I fell asleep early, so I got up this morning at 6 o'clock and watched homecoming. It took me like three and a half hours to watch it. 
You know how sometimes like something like gets in your spirit and your leg starts to jump and you just want to start dancing? I didn't dance, but it was like I was so excited. I was so overwhelmed with like emotion and pride and joy and just and just watching someone work in their life's purpose. It's a really beautiful thing. And I was just really happy for her and happy that she created this and happy for the people that were involved in it, that they were allowed to work as their best selves to create this project, this passion project, this thing of beauty for and by black folks. I I just, I didn't want it to end. I was just so overwhelmed with emotion. I cried at the oddest of times. It was so much. And I could tell you my favorite parts, but they're all my favorite parts. I was in awe. We'd seen the performance on a live stream from Coachella, but The thing that I appreciated most of all, Beyonce is a very talented woman. Beyonce is also an extraordinarily hardworking woman. She does these projects that are A-level. You know, you can see, you know that there was work put into it, but I liked seeing the work. And she said that it was four months to do the choreography, and then it was another four months on the sound. This is her first big project after she had the twins and she'd gained a significant amount of weight and she had a C-section and she had pregnancy-related high blood pressure. There was a lot going on. There were a lot of odds that were against her. And it wasn't easy. She just worked continuously, tirelessly to get it done to, to the best of her ability and beyond. I think it's so important to, to talk about the labor, to talk about the growth that is required. Even if people don't respect what the job is, understand the work that goes into it. People don't see that side. I love watching Blue because we've watched this little girl grow. She's the cutest little thing with the longest hair. I remember people used to make so much fun of that little girl, talk about what she looked like and how Beyonce had her hair. You see them edges though. You see that length though. Okay. She's a cute baby. People used to talk about that child. And then watching Little Blue imitate her mom and do the routines in the background because she's been around. She's on set all the time. Beyonce's kids are with Beyonce. Like She's not one of those women who had kids and like, you know, put them off on nannies. Blue is on set right up under her father nine tenths of the time and they were watching Beyonce perform. That's how Blue learned what to do because she's always there watching. I loved how when Beyonce had the kids, she always had one in one arm and one in the other. Also, underrated moments. People are going to dissect the documentary and the performance in and out. And I'll leave that to them. But there are a couple things that just really stood out to me. 30 minutes into the show, Beyonce sits down and is, is singing opera. I'm like, how do you have the stamina and breath control after this performance to sing opera? Really, ma'am? You're going to hit these notes right now? Like, it's one thing to start out at the beginning when, you know, everything's fresh. But you've been bouncing around all this time. Ma'am, you have worked your lungs and your voice to peak ability. I loved hearing Beyonce sing, lift every voice and sing. And I loved watching Blue sing it at the end. Beyonce talking about she had to get home to her 5011 children. Ma'am, you have three. That's not 5011. And those twins, they are delicious. Those are some cute, cute, cute babies. But I guess for a pop star, people think that's a lot of children. I don't know. She seemed really happy. I loved her weight loss journey 
is someone who's currently on one. That shit is so hard. Oh my God. And I can't imagine what that's like, like after giving birth and having a C-section. We all saw those pregnancy pictures of Beyonce. I want to say at her, she had at a baby shower, she had her stomach out. She was big. And to get from where she was back down to where she, she was for Beachella. And I remember people talked about her weight then. And I was like, this woman looks fine. Stop it. My other favorite part was all the times that they switched back and forth between the yellow day and the pink day. Because as epic as that performance is, you're like, oh my God, this is something that only happens once in a lifetime. Actually, it happened twice. I could have gushed about homecoming for this entire podcast. Overall, I just think it was a great ode to an example of black excellence and black joy and black creativity and black love and black work ethic. And I I stated this at at the beginning of talking about homecoming, but I think it bears repeating. It's really awesome to watch people work at their life's purpose. She was born to do this. And then I also thought how wonderful that her parents had the ability and the desire and the wherewithal to nurture her talent. Because there are plenty of kids who are great artists, who are great creatives, but their parents want them to be something else. Or the parents would love to indulge their children, but they don't have the means to get them the dancing lessons or the singing lessons or the band lessons. They don't have that. So those kids' talents don't get nurtured in the same way that Beyonce had the opportunity for. She's really a perfect storm, that she would be born with a natural gift and that she would have parents who were able to pour into that gift and support her. I wish every creative kid had that opportunity. It was just epic. That was one of the parts I cried at thinking about that. This girl was born to these parents and they were able to help her dreams come true and to watch her live it out to create something in her head and then execute it so amazingly and then also allow so many other people to work in their life's purpose too. So obviously the singers, the dancers, the performers, the people in the orchestra, all of that stuff, but also the people behind the scenes. Everyone's not in front of the camera type person, but the people behind the scenes who get to orchestrate to make all this magic happen in front of the camera. It's just just really awesome. And that's what came across when I was putting my notes together. One of them was to say that this is Beyonce's magnum opus. I don't even know if that's true because I was like, this is really dope. But Lemonade was also really dope. And Beyonce was also really dope. Huh? She just really consistently does dope shit. I haven't listened to the album yet either. There's a live album, 40 songs that dropped in conjunction with the documentary, another unannounced album, just boom, there you go. So when I'm done taping this and then editing this and then uploading this, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to listen to Beyonce nonstop. So yeah, that's that. Thank you as always for tuning in. Do me a favor. I had a bonus episode that I dropped yesterday on Wednesday. It's announcing a new podcast by Zane. Go ahead and give that a listen. You know, I talked about continuing this podcast and needing sponsors in order to continue. So go ahead and listen to that bonus episode as a way of thanking my sponsor so we can continue Ratchet and Respectable indefinitely. 
Next Thursday, we'll chat again. In the meantime, if you need some ratchetness and some respectability in your life, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook at Demetria L. Lucas. I'll provide what I can during the week. And until we meet again next Thursday, you'll be back. I'll be here. Talk soon. Bye.